Hello, I'm Chris Kreitcho, and this is New Rust Station, a show about the Rust programming language and the people who use it. This is episode 27. I promise. Trust me. First up, Parity Technologies is here sponsoring another episode. Parity is advancing the state of the art in decentralized tech. Their flagship software is the Parity Ethereum client, but they're also building cutting edge tech in areas like WebAssembly and peer to peer networking. Their next big project is Polkadot, a platform leveraging blockchain tech for scaling and interop in decentralized systems. Parity uses Rust for its trifecta of safety, speed, and correctness, and they're still hiring Rust developers. So check out their jobs at paritytech.io slash jobs. Thanks again to Parity for sponsoring the show. Now let's talk about unsafe Rust. One of the most interesting claims Rust makes is that it can help us write safer code. I call this claim interesting because there's a lot bundled up in that word safe. This episode, I'm going to dig into the idea of safety through the lens of Rust's keyword unsafe and all the things it lets us do. Because if we want to understand what we're saying with unsafe, we need to understand what Rust means when we say safe about the rest of the code. Because Code marked unsafe is unsafe by contrast with the rest of Rust, with safe Rust. So in this context, what is safety? Safety is a specific set of guarantees about specific kinds of undesired behavior around memory. It is not a guarantee that your program will never crash. It is not a guarantee that you won't have logic bugs. And it is not a guarantee that you will not get into deadlocks It is not a claim about a great many things, in fact. It is a claim very specifically about memory access and threads. The list of things Rust protects us from, and here I'm quoting from the Nomicon, the official Rust guide to writing unsafe Rust, is dereferencing null, dangling, or unaligned pointers, reading uninitialized memory, breaking the pointer aliasing rules, producing invalid primitive values, Dangling null references, null function pointers, a bool value that isn't zero or one, an undefined enum discriminant, a char value, character value outside the ranges from zero to D7FF or E000 to 10FFFF hex values, or a non-UTF-8 stir value that is string slice, or unwinding into another language or causing a data race. So that's not a short list, but I also just read it on this podcast. It's not that long of a list either. There are plenty of things that can still go wrong. For example, data races are prevented by this, but you can still have race conditions in a more general sense. Those races just can't cause memory unsafety specifically. However, that list does eliminate a lot of the worst kinds of unsafety in our programming jobs. In particular, it eliminates the kinds of bugs that cause segmentation faults or corruption in the data of your program or let someone read memory that they shouldn't have access to. And this is what makes Rust such a big deal. Those kinds of guarantees have only ever been available, at least in mainstream languages, in languages with managed memory. So safe Rust is pretty safe. Now, let's flip that around. When we talk about unsafe Rust, does that mean that all the rules just go out the window? Happily, the answer is no. We'll dig into details about what it means to mark blocks or functions or traits with the unsafe keyword in a minute. 
I want to start, though, by noting that writing unsafe Rust does not mean we're now in a free-for-all. If you're not using one of these very specific additional abilities that unsafe unlocks and that we'll cover in a minute, all of Rust's normal compiler checks and rules and safety behaviors are still in play. Yes, you heard that right. The compiler checks you just as much inside an unsafe block as outside, other than these very specific abilities we'll talk about. So, for example, if you're using a normal Rust reference instead of a raw pointer, the borrow checker will still check your access just like normal. I've linked to a Rust playground example and also put one in the show notes so that you can see exactly this, along with a warning that the unsafe block in the example is unnecessary. The takeaway here, before I dig into each of these unsafe abilities, is that they don't remove Rust's normal safety checks. They just let you do these additional things. As the Nomicon puts it, the unsafe keyword has two uses, to declare the existence of contracts the compiler can't check, and to declare that a programmer has checked that these contracts have been upheld. Note that that doesn't include shutting down the safety guarantees. It's also really important that we understand that the fact that we're writing code in an unsafe block doesn't mean that what we're doing is not safe. In fact, the point is quite the opposite. Our intent is to write safe code in unsafe blocks. The difference is whether the compiler can know that these things we're writing are safe or not. For this reason, people have sometimes suggested to varying degrees of seriousness, and no one's serious enough to write an RFC for this, of course, that unsafe should have a different name, something like vouchsafe or trust me. Because code in an unsafe block is code where the normal trust paradigm we have with Rust is inverted. Instead of it being a case of my trusting the compiler to keep the code from ending up in conditions that would, say, segfault, the compiler has to trust me to keep the code from ending up in those conditions. So what are these special abilities that unsafe unlocks? Just these four, quoting again from an official source, the Rust programming language book. We can dereference a raw pointer, call an unsafe function or method, access or modify a mutable static variable, or implement an unsafe trait. And that's it. So let's talk about each of those in turn. The first thing you can do, and the broadest and most dangerous in many ways, and the one that the others build on top of, is dereference a raw pointer. To understand that, we need to talk a little bit about the difference between a raw pointer and a normal reference in Rust, since pointers and references often get conflated in imprecise discussions about this. Fair enough. The difference between pointers and references is less one of mechanics and more one of semantics, what they mean, and therefore what the compiler will let you do with them. Under the hood, both a raw pointer and a reference contain a memory address. Semantically speaking, though, the value of a pointer is that memory address, while the value of a reference is the thing it's pointing to. So when you interact with a reference in Rust, you're never concerned with the specific memory address involved. The only reason that memory address is involved is so that the program has a way of getting access to some item where that item already exists, so that it doesn't have to copy all of its data around over and over again. We have a reference to the item in place. By contrast, when you interact with a pointer in Rust, or in C, or C++, or any other language where you're dealing with pointers, you're interacting with a specific in Rust, I size value, which contains a memory location. 
It's an iSize value in Rust because iSize is the name of the type which is large enough to hold a memory address on the architecture you're running on. I'll take a moment here to comment on that because I think it's useful to understand if this is new for you. For a 32-bit architecture, iSize is 4 bytes because 4 bytes is enough to describe a full 32-bit location. 4 bytes is 32 bits. Thus, the same for a 64-bit architecture. It's 8 bytes. If you somehow managed to get Rust running on an 8-bit architecture, it'd be 1 byte. The point here is that the pointer value is not just an indirection. It's not just a way of getting at some piece of data somewhere else in memory. The pointer value is the address. And that difference goes right down through the division between safe and unsafe Rust. Pointers and references are pointers and references, whether in safe Rust or unsafe Rust. And you can deal with pointers in safe Rust. You can get pointer values in safe Rust, for example, with the box into raw function. You can even mutate them so that they point at something else in safe Rust. I've put an example of this in the show notes and a link to a Rust playground showing exactly this. The big, dare I say huge, thing you cannot do in safe Rust is dereference a raw pointer. That is, you cannot go through the pointer to get at the data at that memory location. In unsafe Rust, you can do that. Let's look at why this is the case. If I get a pointer by calling box into raw with a valid box pointing at some struct, that pointer is valid. But now, as I noted a second ago, I can change it because box into raw gives me back a mutable pointer. So I could say just put the hex value 0x10 in it. And behind that address is, well, who knows what? It could be uninitialized. It could be empty. It could be a different piece of data. That different piece of data could be one being used by another thread or owned by another object in my system. And if I could dereference it, well, then I could mess with the values on the other side of it. All of which comes out to me being able to create just about any kind of mess you can imagine. Seg vaults, data races, you name it. Now, many times we do need this. Not that often. Crates like RipGrep can be implemented in very fast with almost no unsafe code. But often enough in certain scenarios. Many of the data structures in the standard library, for example, use unsafe quite heavily to do things that we can verify are correct, but which we can't do safely, that is, with safe code. For example, the implementation of clone for the box smart pointer type is unsafe because it does a direct memory copy from one pointer location to another, and that operation is unsafe because the caller has to make sure that the source and destination locations, A, are both legitimate for the caller to have access to, and B, don't overlap. And you can't verify that just by having two memory addresses. So that covers raw pointers and why they need to be wrapped in unsafe. What about these unsafe functions and methods? Well, the obvious reason, given this discussion we just had, that we might need unsafe at the level of a function or a method is that the function cannot guarantee the safety of a given operation with just the information it needs to be executed. The example I just gave is appropriate. If we're going to do a mem copy, well, we're passing in two iSize values. That doesn't tell us anything about whether that iSize value is valid. So the function or method in question will have guarantees that the caller needs to uphold, and those guarantees should be very well documented. 
Another good example of this is any kind of foreign function interface interaction. So if you're dealing with memory from outside Rust, maybe because you're calling out to C from Rust, or maybe because you're using Rust to speed up an Elixir computation or something like that, by definition, the compiler can't check that you're keeping things straight. It doesn't know about everything going on in the other language. It doesn't know about anything going on in the other language. So calling a function that is in another language, that is in an external C or similar block, is inherently unsafe. Now let's talk about mutable static variables. Statics are global items in Rust, and in safe Rust, they can't be changed. Because, as a lot of people have said over the years, shared mutable state is the root of all evil, and mutable global variables are the definition of shared mutable state. A static variable in Rust has a specific unchanging location in memory, and you can of course have references to static values in normal Rust. In fact, you often do. That's what any static string is, for example. So if you could change those values, you could have data races if multiple threads had references to that particular static at the same time and tried to read or write to it. Bad times. There are times, though, when having a single piece of global mutable state is useful. Rare, but they do exist. So as usual, we need to carefully constrain how that is handled so we don't shoot ourselves in the foot. Thus, we are only allowed to change or read mutable static variables in unsafe blocks. The last of these is unsafe traits, and these are basically just one further abstraction layer up from the things we just talked about with unsafe functions and methods and with raw pointers. If a trait has a method, which is unsafe, then the trait itself also has to be unsafe. The prime examples for unsafe traits in the standard library are send and sync. In fact, those are the only unsafe traits in the standard library. I covered those back in episode 22. If you build a custom type that uses raw pointers, the Rust compiler, by definition, cannot tell if you're using that type in a way that is safe to share across threads, either as a value with send or a reference with sync. So you have to write the send and sync implementations yourself, and as you would expect, that's unsafe. So that covers, at a high level, there's plenty more we could say, the four things that Rust lets us do with unsafe. But there's a little bit more to cover here, because the most important thing to understand about unsafe in Rust is that we can constrain the unsafety. Unsafe isn't a virus that infects everything it touches. You can, and basically always do, wrap unsafe code with code that is safe. In fact, this is how large swaths of the Rust standard library are implemented, like Box, which we talked about a minute ago. And this ability to provide a safe abstraction around an unsafe implementation is at the core of what makes Rust viable. There are things you cannot do in safe Rust, but which you have to be able to do to get the kinds of performance we want. The trick is making it so that other people using your code aren't exposed to those unsafe things. And this is not specific to Rust. Well-written C and C++ do the same kinds of things, and this same basic idea is fundamental to the notion of abstraction in programming. The difference with Rust as compared to C or C++ is that we have, in unsafe, a tool for making the boundaries between the unsafe and safe code explicit and checkable by the compiler. Code inside an unsafe block is allowed to make those four moves we discussed with all their ramifications. Code outside an unsafe block isn't. So when you write a chunk of unsafe code, you're responsible to uphold the invariance required to make the safe wrapper safe. Here's an analogy. 
One of the fundamental data structures we use all the time in our software work is a stack. The first thing in is the last thing out. From the perspective of someone using a stack, the only thing we actually care about is that we have the tools we need to put more items into the stack or get items back out of the stack and that they behave in the right order. But there are lots of ways you can implement a stack while keeping those constraints for users, maintaining those invariants. You could use a simple linked list. So in Rust, we could have something like an option wrapping a box pointing to a node where the node is our next item. Every item in the stack would have some wrapping around a box pointing to a node, except for the very first one, which would have none, because it would be at the, the latest point in the stack. Alternatively, though, we could use a vector and keep track of the latest item with an index pointing to the most recently inserted location in the vector. From the perspective of someone using the stack, none of those details matter at all. We can choose the underlying data structure that gives us the best performance trade-offs for our particular needs for our stack implementation. However, we have to make sure that the functions we supply for interacting with our stack do what they say that they do. In the list-based variant, we need to make sure that we only ever append to the end of the list, otherwise we'll end up with a tree instead of a list. Likewise, in the vector-based version, we would need to be careful to set the index correctly when adding or removing items from the end of the vector. We're responsible for upholding the invariance for our abstract data structure with the concrete implementations. And this is the same thing as we have with unsafe. The abstraction around the unsafe code and the unsafe block itself are responsible to ensure that the function does the right thing with the data that outside callers hand it. But now we've isolated that at the programming language level, and therefore we can know with confidence exactly where any bugs in the behavior of that unsafe abstraction come from. To put a more positive spin on it, we can know where we need to focus our design and testing and verification efforts in unsafe blocks. I really liked how Nerojus Orlauskas put it in a blog post, which I have of course linked in the show notes. It may seem strange that unsafe exists at all. The reason for it is quite simple. It allows us to deal with complicated stuff once, inside a function with a safe API, and then completely forget about it when we become the users of that API. In other words, it moves the responsibility of correct API usage to API implementer. One last note here from me. In some languages, the default is that all items in a given module are public, and you have to go out of your way to hide them. That is not the case in Rust, and it's absolutely essential that it not be the case in Rust. We can, and must, use privacy to make it so that we can uphold the invariance we need in a given context. If you have a function you need that isn't itself unsafe, but which can break invariance that unsafe code needs upheld to make sure it works correctly, you can just leave that function private to the module and write good comments for yourself internally explaining exactly how it has to be used to uphold those invariants. Then again, the only possible places things go amiss are scoped, in that case, to the module. So that's our introduction to Unsafe Rust. I may come back to it at some point in the future, but I, that is plenty for today. Thank you for listening, and thank you to everyone who sponsors the show. This month's $10 or more sponsors included James Hagens II, Paul Naranja, Ryan Osiel, Chip, Bryce Johnston, Dan Abrams, Alexander Payne, 
Brian Stitt, Ramon Buckland, Jacob Denar, Nathan Scully, Scott Muller, John Rudnick, Stefan Lowensunda, Matt Rudder, Rafe Levine, Michael McDonald, Chris Palmer, Alushay Shania, Daniel Collin, Joseph Marhi, Brian McAllister, Nick Gidio, Graham Willadall, Nicholas Pochet, Benham Esfabode, Jonathan Knapp, Nick Stevens, Jerome Froelich, Rob Tuke, Daniel Mason, Adam Green, Anthony Deschamps, Peter Tillemans, and Martin Huschober. That list is getting really amazingly long. Thank you all for sponsoring. If you'd like to sponsor the show, you can set up ongoing support at patreon.com slash station or send a one-off my way. I have other options at the show website. The site also has scripts and code samples for most teaching episodes and transcripts for many of the interviews. You can find the notes for this episode at neurostation.com slash show underscore notes slash E027. If you're enjoying the show, please tell others about it in person, on social media, or even just put rating and reviewing in your favorite podcast directory. The show is on Twitter at Neurostation, and I'm there at Chris Kreitcho. Please do tweet at me with news, and I will include that in upcoming news episodes. I also love hearing back from you, whether in the threads on various forums or when you send me an email at hello at Neurostation.com. Until next time, happy, possibly unsafe, coding. <laughs>